Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, all things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. Thank you for joining me today as we investigate the life and legacy of another American girl who made a huge impact across the pond. Her name is Frances Work, known as Fanny, and you might not be familiar with her story, but I can pretty much guarantee you are very familiar with one of her great-grandchildren, Diana, Princess of Wales. You perhaps are familiar with another one of her famous great-grandchildren, Oliver Platt. Lots of threads in this one today, friends. But before we begin, I do want to take a moment to pull out my spyglass and give some enormous thanks to Kelly Huzzah, our most recent supporter on patreon.com slash doneanddone, getting early and ad-free episodes along with bonus episodes, our not-done-yet specials. So many good things happening over there. So grateful to you, Kelly, and all of our Patreon supporters for your support. So grateful to you for coming back to listen to today's generational tale. Frances Ellen Work, quite different than our last batch of American girls. Let's investigate. The story of how Frances Ellen Work married into the English aristocracy is drastically different from that of the other American girls, the American heiresses, dollar princesses that we've talked about. While our first batch of American girls were strongly encouraged or even forced into their marriages to European nobility, Frances Work, Fanny, her father could not have been more opposed to any of it going down. Franklin Work, Fanny's father, known as Frank, really does make a pretty strong declaration. I don't think there's any real mystery about the way he feels about all of this. Frank Work will declare, I am an American to my backbone. Therefore, I only have contempt for these helpless, hopeless, lifeless men that cross the ocean to carry off the very flower of our womanhood. When they win our girls, they use them, humble them, and dishonor them, and then cast them aside for actresses or adventuresses of their own real class. If I had anything to say about the matter, I'd make international marriage a hanging offense. Bad luck for Frank Work. <laughs> Francis will fall in love with a hapless, impoverished, titled aristocrat, very much to her father's dismay. Fanny's also gonna marry him. Francis would soon learn... <sighs> doesn't take too long, that her father was right as her marriage would end up being fairly miserable. The marriage, though, would not be a complete waste, though, as it would produce royal descendants, including at least two future kings of England. Frances Ellen Work's great-granddaughter would be born on July 1st, 1961, and her name is Diana Spencer. You may know her better as Diana, Princess of Wales. There's a lot to this story, friends. Let us begin with Frances Ellen Work, who was born in New York City on October the 27th, 1858. Frances is the eldest daughter of Frank Work and his wife, Ellen. And Frank is the prototypical, no-nonsense, self-made American man. 
Frank will start from modest beginnings in Ohio and work his way up through hard work and ambition. He starts out as an expert carriage driver. He'll also own some of the best trotting horses in the country. Once Frank builds a name for himself within horsing circles and built up, you know, some respectable wealth, he will run in to a guy we've talked about a lot, Commodore Vanderbilt. Commodore takes a liking to Frank and will make Frank work his protege. Eventually, Frank work is going to turn this protege for the Commodore into very much his own substantial fortune by becoming Commodore Vanderbilt's main stockbroker. The work family really does rise in station. They live in Manhattan. They have a summer cottage called Elm Court. This is located, where else, friends, Newport, Rhode Island. Elm Court was situated at 315 Bellevue Avenue. Interestingly, Elm Court is still owned and lived in by the descendants of Francis Work. Elm Court, just a little bit of dish about this home. It is an Italianite manor home. Again, Newport, Rhode Island, Bellevue Avenue, best street in town, built in 1860 and designed by Stanford White, who we talked about many, many moons ago on Done and Done. It all connects, right? Frances, our American girl in this story, was beautiful, intelligent, and honestly from one of the richest families in America. Of course she sought after and admired. She is a New York debutante. Daddy has a lot of money and That money is spent lavishly on parties, on clothing, and entertaining herself. Oh, Fanny, she was her father's favorite child and shares his passion for horses. And because of being dad's favorite, Fanny is set to inherit much of her father's substantial wealth. But no slouch in the intelligence department. Fanny is well-educated. She reads, she speaks French fluently. She has a tremendous interest in the arts. Fanny's kind of the package, right? She could have any man she chooses. But the man that Fanny ends up choosing was English-born. James Burke Roach, the son of Irish politician Edmund Burke Roach, first Baron Fermoy. Let me tell you a little bit about James here, Jim. The honorary James Burke Roach, Born July 28, 1851, and James is a classic example of a charming and handsome aristocrat, but also the other trait that most aristocrats of the time had. He's flat broke, and Jim is not the eldest son, so he's not set to inherit a title or an estate. In 1874, when James was 23 years old, his father dies, and it is James's older brother, Edward, who becomes the second Baron Fermoy. The Fermoy title at this point is only one generation old. It carries with it about 16,000 acres in County Cork and County Waterford in Ireland. The family seat is Trebolgan, which is a long Georgian house facing the sea near Cork Harbor. Interestingly, the builders of the house did not consider that when there was a strong southeasterly wind, which was often the case near the sea, The front door of Trebolgan could not be opened. Not a problem, though, for long because the second Baron Fermoy, Edward, will sell Trebolgan just a few years after inheriting it. 
the income from these 16,000 acres will bring in to Edmund and the family about 7,000 pounds a year. This translates in today's dollars to about 800,000 pounds a year. Edward and his younger brother James like to spend well beyond their means. They are both big-time gamblers, so as you can imagine, this income is not nearly enough to provide for the second baron's family and bad habits, let alone not able to provide much of an allowance for his younger brother. Realizing James does that his family name is Good Looks and Charm would go a lot further in America, the honorary James Burkroach took his show on the road. His adventurous spirit will take him first to Wyoming, where Jim will raise cattle, has an occasional skirmish with Native Americans. Jim's longtime friend from their days in Cambridge, this guy's name is Morton Froon. Morton Froon had moved to Wyoming as well, and Morton had built himself a large cattle ranch and invited Jimmy, his friend, to come stay with him and his wife, oh my gosh, Morton's wife, Clarita Jerome, the older sister of Jenny Jerome. This sounds all kind of nice and glossy, but I do need to let you know that Morton Froon was known as Mortal Ruin for his reputation of convincing all of his friends to invest in his financial schemes that inevitably caused them to lose all of their money. These accounts of James Burkroach's manly adventures in Wyoming were well exaggerated, but they do add to his glamour and charm. When old Jim, oh James, he decides to go visit New York City. It is the summer of 1880 when Jim visits Newport, Rhode Island with his friends. Here in Newport, Jim meets the beautiful Frances Work, and much to her father's chagrin, Frances does fall in love and insists on marrying James Burke Roach. Now, Fanny has no idea of the true character of James. She also doesn't know that he is flat broke, right? His family has lived far beyond their means long enough to be heavily indebted, but all Fanny sees is the charismatic and extremely handsome aristocrat and boom, head over heels. For his part, Jim in Fanny sees a way out of his financial woes and does not waste any time in proposing marriage. Jim goes to New York City summer of 1880. Jim and Francis are married on September the 22nd, 1880 at Christ Church in New York City. As you can imagine, Fanny's father, Frank Work, strongly disapproves and at this point will disinherit his daughter who would no longer receive the bulk of his estate when he died. But Frank does love his daughter, and she is his favorite, so just to ensure that she's not completely under the thumb of her feckless new husband, Frank will give his daughter Fanny an allowance of $7,000 a year. Fanny and Jim sail immediately to England after the wedding to begin married life. Frank, never one to keep his opinions unknown to the world, Frank will continue to express his disgust with the practice by announcing, It's time this international marrying came to a stop, for our American girls are ruining our country by it. As fast as honorable, hardworking men can earn their money, their daughters take it and take it across the ocean. And for what? 
for the purpose of a title and the privilege of paying the debts of so-called noblemen. I mean, to be fair, this would be true for many of our American heiress marriages, our dollar princesses, including Fanny. Back in England, Fanny was accepted into society. She quickly gives birth to two daughters, only one of whom survived, and then twin sons. Her father, Frank, will increase Fanny's allowance to $12,000 a year. Frank knows full well that his daughter had been raised to be a big spender, and Frank is assuming that his daughter hasn't changed all that much in her habits, even though now she lives in England. Like I say, it will not take long for this marriage to sour. Fanny soon realizes that her new husband is not only feckless, but also a philanderer and a compulsive gambler. The gambling will eventually cause Fanny not to be accepted in many society circles because Jim doesn't pay his debts when he loses money, which becomes very much an issue of honor. Fanny, therefore, is forced to continually ask her father for more of daddy's hard-earned money to pay off her husband's gambling debts. This is really the last straw, friends. Jim squanders $100,000 in a single year. And at this point, Frank had had enough. In his own words, he, quote, stopped pouring money down a rat hole, unquote. This is six years into the marriage, and it turns out that Fanny had had enough, too. A humiliated and desperate Frances Work returns to New York City. What was the last straw for her? The last straw had been when all of the couple's furniture was taken by bailiffs to be held until their debts were paid. Frank, though, he's a business guy, and he wants to work with his daughter as best he can, and Frank agrees to reinstate Fanny as long as she divorces Jim and agrees never, ever, ever to return to Europe. Fanny agrees to her father's terms, and they're on the same page. But then Fanny and Frank need to negotiate with James Burke Roach for the boys. And Jim had only allowed Fanny to take their daughter Cynthia with her to New York. Jim still has the twin boys with him as kind of a bargaining chip. Jim will eventually realize that Franklin Work is not going to change his mind about any of this. And and Jim will leave the twin boys on the front porch of the Work Mansion and then just returns to England. Divorce proceedings will begin and were finalized in 1891. This divorce was front page news. Fanny claims in court that Jim had deserted her and, quote, willfully neglected to provide for his wife and children, unquote. Of course, these claims are 100% true. Fanny, in the divorce, is given custody of all three children, Cynthia, Edmund, who's known as Morris, and Francis. As part of the divorce settlement, Frank Work does agree to pay off all of his son-in-law's debts if, Jim would sign off his own rights to the twin boys. Jim agrees, and the boys were raised in the United States at the demand of their grandfather. It was clearly stated in Frank's will that the American education of the boys was a strict condition for Francis to inherit any of his money. If the boys so as much visited England, Fanny would be disinherited. 
Fanny really does have public sympathy and support after her divorce and is living a pretty active social life. She's not really ostracized all that much. Fanny will make it onto Ward McAllister's 400 in 1892. Not just a smart society beauty, though. Fanny will write, take part in expected social and charitable events, but here's the thing I also want you to know about Fanny work. She learns coach driving. Fanny becomes the first woman to drive a four-in-hand in Central Park in New York City. Her coach driving teacher was a professional Hungarian whip. This is also kind of an equerry, a pony boy. His name that she knows is Count Oral Batonyi, or that is what at least he called himself. It would be revealed later that his actual name was Arthur Cohn. Fanny falls in love with her handsome coach-driving teacher, and the couple were married in 1903. Because Fanny knows what her father would think about this second, uh, God bless her, international marriage, Fanny keeps it completely secret from everyone for a year. There is a little bit of a discrepancy. They marry in 1903, but it doesn't really become public knowledge until 1905. Fanny will only tell her father hours before they leave for a trip to Europe. At this point, Frank Work's patience had completely run out, and he cuts off his daughter Fanny completely, not even giving her the allowance he had provided to her during her first marriage to James Burke Roach. Frank Work also ensures that Fanny would not have access to Elm Court in Newport. He puts it on the market. Gonna sell the thing. Frank Work is mad. Fanny's second husband, Oral, was never really accepted into society, and Fanny was pretty miserable without any income. Fanny will eventually, doesn't take too long, give in to her father's demands and ditch Oral just two years after their marriage. At this point, Fanny is given an allowance again. In 1911, Franklin Work dies at the age of 92, leaving an estimated $15 million in fortune behind. Fanny had been reinstated and received a portion of this. The 15th, yep, 15th codicil to Franklin Works will will give Fanny Elm Court. This is why her descendants and her daughter's descendants are still there at that home. So Fanny, right, reinstated, she receives a large portion of that $15 million in addition to Elm Court. Franklin's will in one of the codicils also does stipulate that a large portion of his substantial fortune would go to his twin grandsons with some conditions. They needed to become U.S. citizens and stay in the United States for the rest of their lives. Boys will be boys at the time of their grandfather's death. The twins are now 26 years old, and they don't really think that they should be forced to abide by the stipulations set forth in their grandfather's will. The grandsons will contest the requirements of Frank's will, and because none of the other relatives who were set to inherit parts of Franklin's fortune objected, the twin grandsons are successful. The boys would inherit their portion of the work fortune, but would also return to England. In 
1920. Fanny's first husband, James Burke Roach, does become the third Baron Fermoy when his older brother dies without an heir. James will die two months later at the age of 69, making his oldest son, Morris Edmund, the fourth Baron Fermoy. Morris will marry a girl named Ruth Gill in 1931, and the couple would have two daughters, Mary and Frances, and one son, Edmund. Stick with me, folks. This is the fun spiderweb. Their daughter, Frances, would marry John Spencer, Viscount Althorpe, and later the 8th Earl Spencer in 1954. This couple has four surviving children, three daughters and one son. Their third daughter was born July 1st, 1961, and they will name her Diana Frances Spencer, later known as Diana, Princess of Wales. Thus, Frances Ellen Work is the great-grandmother of Princess Diana and the great-great-grandmother of Prince William, Duke of Cornwall, future King of England. Poor Franklin Work, his plan of keeping the boys away from England and the English aristocratic way of life had failed miserably. Not only were the Burke Roach twins back in England, but they are also now part of the titled aristocracy and would soon have a direct genetic line to the English throne. We might as well get into it now. I don't want to leave you hanging on this because everything's connected. Let's talk about Frances Ellen Works' granddaughter, the Honorable Frances Burke Roach Spencer Shand Kidd. This is Diana's mother. Diana's mother, Frances, is Fanny's granddaughter. This Frances was born January the 20th, 1936 at Sandringham Estate to Morris Burke Roach, 4th Baron Fermoy. Remember, this is Fanny's son and Ruth Gill Fermoy. Frances's father, Morris, was a close friend of King George VI and a part of his inner circle. Her mother, Ruth, was BFFs and lady-in-waiting to the Queen Mother. Frances will marry John Spencer, Viscount Althorpe, on June the 1st, 1954 in Westminster Abbey. This wedding is a celebrated social high society event. See, Frances is one of the youngest women to be married in Westminster Abbey. She was 18. Her groom, John Spencer, was 30 at the time of their wedding. The wedding is attended by the Queen and other members of the royal family. Francis and John, the Spencers, do have four surviving children, three daughters and one son, but the marriage is not happy. Francis is under tremendous pressure to produce a male heir. A surviving male heir was finally born in 1960 for 10 years into the marriage. This male heir you know, as Diana's brother, Charles Spencer, now the current ninth Earl Spencer. Even the birth of a son does not save this marriage. It will continue to deteriorate. The couple fights often, and eventually the fighting does become physical. When this marriage finally ends, it is a society scandal, y'all. Francis has been having an affair with Adam Shan Kidd, an Australian wallpaper heir. 
It is Adam's brother, William Shan Kidd, who was a champion amateur jockey and brother-in-law of John Bingham, 7th Earl of Lucan. It all comes back around. John Spencer was awarded custody of the Spencer children, in large part because of Lady Ruth Fermoy, Francis's mother. Lady Ruth testifies against her own daughter in court. Lady Ruth Fermoy was so scandalized by her daughter's affair with a married man that she will betray her daughter and play a major role in separating Francis from her children. Soon after her divorce from John Spencer, Francis will marry her lover, Adam Shan Kidd, in 1969. The couple will move to the Scottish island of Seal, where they open a gift shop that Francis runs. Things remain pretty quiet for Francis and her new husband until her daughter Diana's engagement to Prince Charles in 1981. Until then, Francis and Adam had lived a pretty private and fairly secluded life split between London and Scotland. Ironically, it was Diana's new fame and media attention that was blamed for ending the marriage of Francis and Adam in 1988. Adam Shand Kidd had difficulty dealing with the spotlight and very much resented that the world saw his wife Frances as Diana's mother instead of his wife. Adam Shand Kidd will eventually leave Frances for a much younger woman and the divorce between the Shand Kids was finalized in 1990. After her second divorce, Frances begins drinking heavily. And although she always denied being an alcoholic, Frances was convicted of drunk driving and had her license suspended for a year in 1996. Diana, her daughter, was publicly going through her own marital difficulties and subsequent divorce. Frances will betray Diana in a similar way to how her own mother, Ruth, had betrayed her. It's terrible. Frances will give a media interview to Hello! magazine in 1997, in which she discusses Diana's divorce, her lovers, and her bulimia. In this interview, Frances Shankid also told the magazine that she thought it was, quote, absolutely wonderful, unquote, that Diana had been stripped of her HRH, her Royal Highness, title. This was very hurtful to Diana is being stripped of her HRH title, was a humiliation for her. This is where I want to connect in just a few bits about our man Nick with a little bit of a scene here. Diana, Princess of Wales, during the Menendez trial that Dunn was attending. Holy cats. Diana and Dominic Dunn are phone buddies. She'll call him from London to hear about what happened in the Menendez trial that day. Dominic Dunn will meet Diana, Princess of Wales, as well. This is in June 1995, when Dominic Dunn is covering the O.J. Simpson trial. Our man Nick had to get permission from Judge Lance Ito to leave court for that day. Vanity Fair is throwing a big party at the Serpentine Gallery in Kensington Gardens, and Dominic Dunn is put on the beat to cover it. Judge Lance Ito does ask Dominic after giving permission for Dunn to go. (laughs) Lance Ito says, please send the princess my best. 
This is a quick weekend getaway. Dunn is in London for the weekend, and Diana and he meet. Again, this is June 1995. The princess specifically has requested that Dominic Dunn attend the event. This is not the night of the revenge dress. This is a year later. The revenge dress incident happened at the end of June 1994. This was when Diana showed up in the black off-the-shoulder number by Greek designer Christina Strambolian. Diana had originally planned a Valentino gown for that night, but the day before was the day that Prince Charles, now King Charles III, decided to go on the telly to announce his long-term affair with Camilla Parker Bowles. Diana makes a quick wardrobe change. This event in 1995 where Dunn meets Diana She's wearing the sparkly blue short dress number. Same event following year. It is also at this event that Diana predicts to Dominic Dunn as they're talking about the OJ trial that OJ Simpson would not be convicted of his crimes. Dominic Dunn is aghast at this news from the princess, but turns out she did call that one in advance. We have talked a little bit about Diana on Not Done Yet in a Patreon. Dominic Dunn covers the Paul Burrell trial extensively in later years. And it is from Paul Burrell that we have some of this information about the rocky and tumultuous relationship of Diana and her mother, Frances Shan Kidd. It is soon after the Hello! magazine interview betrayal. Frances is reported to have exhibited even more disturbing behavior towards her daughter. Paul Burrell, Diana's former butler, says the following in an interview with Fox News. Quote, I was in my little pantry underneath the main staircase of Kensington Palace, and I could hear the sobbing coming out of Diana's room. Then she shouted, Paul, please come, come quick. So I ran up the staircase and I found the princess crumpled in the middle of her room with the telephone to her ear, and she beckoned me to come closer. I could hear what her mother was saying. She said, listen, listen to what mommy's saying. Burl continues, Mrs. Shankid had had a few to drink that night. She was berating the princess and then calling her a whore. She said, that's what you are. I've raised a whore, whoring around town with Muslim men. You should be ashamed of yourself. Diana was sobbing, saying, mommy, please don't say those words to me. Please don't call me those names. She begged her. She kept begging her not to say it. Burl continues, Of course, she's repeating it in her drunkenness. Diana eventually said, I'm going to put the phone down and I'll never speak to you again. And that's exactly what she did. She never did speak to her mother again. Diana, Princess of Wales, died four months later. Paul Burrell continues, Her mother had to live with that guilt after Diana's death. She came to me and said, Surely I'll be forgiven now, won't I? And I said, Mrs. Shan Kidd, I can't give you absolution. I'm not the right person to come to. I couldn't. After Diana's death, Frances returned to her seclusion on the Scottish island of Seal. Frances had converted to Roman Catholicism a few years earlier and will involve herself very heavily in charitable works. Frances Burke Roche, Spencer Shand Kidd, 
died in Scotland on June the 3rd, 2004, at the age of 68. She had been suffering from a terminal brain tumor, but is now thought to have had Parkinson's disease. Her funeral was attended by her surviving children and grandchildren, including both of Diana's sons, William and Harry. Prince Charles did not attend because he was traveling to the United States to attend the funeral of former President Ronald Reagan. Oh, my investigators, there was quite a lot of a story packed into that one. Francis Ellen Work, what a story, what a legacy. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here. We will be back next week with a new thread in our investigation. However, if you need more Done and Done in the meantime, please head on over to patreon.com slash doneanddone to check out all of the bonus goodies. Holy cats, happy new year, friends. And until we meet again, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.